goes. Okay, we're on. You're looking at a chair because I'm sitting in it. My name is Nick Holloway. I'm not sick. I'm not crazy, but I am invisible. How can I make you believe this? Okay, try this. See, no strings. Wait a minute. This ought to do it for you. I'm making this tape because in a few hours I could be dead. This is my last chance. I've got a hell of a story to tell. Well, let's get right to it. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady One, and I'm here with... Chris Galza. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in season three, we are discussing the films of John Carpenter. Today, we will be talking about 1992's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And joining us today is friend of the show, Shauna. Hello! Hey, everybody. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's great to see you guys again. I cannot remember. What did we last when we talked with you before? What did we just, what was it? Uh, Alien 3. Alien 3. Oh, that's right. I just pulled it up and there it is. Cubed. I gave it a listen today. How was it? Was it a good show? Yeah. It was like great. a solid B B plus? What would you give it? I honestly I was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's kinda of goes without saying. <laughs> I'm in a mood today. It's it's cool. Great. It's great. Great, 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 great. Chris, this is your part. What do I do? Hi. <laughs> you ask our lovely guests. About their history with John Carpenter and this film in particular. Is that officially, officially me Yes, now? Chris. I thought it was like a one job. time. You were no, like, I was oh. trying to bring you into the fold earlier in the show. Every, the problem is that everybody knows I'm the eye candy, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but the, still, <laughs> but that's fine. Shauna, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We're here to discuss Memoirs of an Invisible Man, directed by John Carpenter, hence why the film was included. Starring Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah, Sam Neill. What is your history with Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Well, actually, I had never seen this one. This was one of two that I had not seen. The other one being the weird TV Elvis thing he did. <laughs> and I don't know that I'll be watching that anytime soon. So, But I do love John Carpenter. <laughs> um, I think I've told Chris on um, the other show... Uh, Two of my favorite horror movies are The Thing and Halloween. There you go. That's right. Excellent taste. That's good. I'm glad you've seen The Thing. We had a guest a couple weeks ago that hadn't seen The Thing, uh. and I, just, I almost passed out. <laughs> there was an interrogation. <laughs> so I confess, too, this is my first viewing of memoirs as well. And Juan, Same. I'm sure, right? Same for you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Didn't even know this was a thing. All right, good. So we're all coming in cold, relatively. I mean, I think we're all generally familiar with the concept of the invisible person. Mm-hmm. There was the Hollow Man that came out in, what, 2000, was it? Yeah. Ooh, probably. That and feels then a, aggressively 2000. And then that 
excellent what remake from a few years ago with Elizabeth <gasps> oh, Moss, The Invisible Man, which I think that is was very so good. good. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is an adaptation of what? And now, is it is it the original book or is this more of a. Uh, it's a different it's, book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I looked into it. I'm probably wrong, but I may be misremembering. But wasn't it like the book, when the movie came out, the book was still being written or something? Or am I confusing? I don't know. Cause, yeah, because the movie came out in 92 and it looks like the book was published in 87. Oh, okay, 87. Okay. I'm thinking So the, that did. They were filming Christine before the book was out. Okay, so that's what you, might, you might be yeah. thinking about yeah. that. So this this film is based on the book "Memoirs of an Invisible Man," written by H. F. Saint, and the book's author, good Harry name. Harry F. Saint, was at the time of writing the book a forty five year old Wall Street businessman who had not written anything other than a single short story that he sent into Esquire when he was in grad school. He wanted to write a book that would make money. And so he wrote this book. And uh, he sold the rights to the book. Warner Brothers bought it for $1.35 million. And the irony that this film that comes right after They Live was written in the late 80s by a Wall Street businessman who made art just so that he could make money is like... Fuck. <laughs> yeah, that hurts my soul a little bit. Oh, why? He never wrote anything else either, it looks like. Yeah. He got his mill, a couple mil and just left. Yeah. But that was sounds like that's what he was going for. Was yeah. like, oh, the invisible man, that's a that's a thing I could do. Let me do like an eighties version of it where it, you know, he's a businessman, because I know businessmen. Like, what the fuck? Now I'm mad at hf saint as well as chevy chase uh you know what i don't like your name anymore hf saint i said i like it i take that back retraction yeah your name sucks Boo! and it is harry i mean come on yeah yeah so that's uh that's what this is based on um i did not move forward with my research past learning that to find out if the book is funny because I was just very angered by everything I learned about this movie was like, and that's why, and that's why, and everything is terrible. So how this film came to be directed by John Carpenter, because that's, you know, that story about the book, that's vaguely how the film came to be. But this was supposed to be directed by Ivan Reitman, who was getting sick and tired of Chevy Chase's bullshit. What? He said, he said to Warner Brothers, it's him or me. And guess what? <laughs> Warner Brothers went with Chevy Chase. And so Ivan Reitman, psh, out the movie. And John Carpenter steps in to to take the job. Uh, it's probably by a nice house, m- would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can I can tell nobody's nobody's jumping for joy over this movie, even though we've all just just recently come to it but guess what john carpenter it feels feels the same way he said this is his least favorite of all the films he's directed and the film quote he hates thinking about the most <laughs> well, i like I, how I we've talked that. in the past about how he like the, the the studio system had kind of turned him off to making movies he wanted to make his little <laughs> independent films again yeah. And he comes back for this, and it's just reinforced all over again. Where he basically almost drove him out of the industry, having to. And yeah. he would—he never says, I guess, who it is, <laughs> which I, I, I adore. I think here's here's the quote, right? Yeah. 
This is Chevy Chase, Sam Neill, who I love and a longtime friendship with, and Warner Brothers. I worked for them, and it was pleasant. Carpenter told Variety before adding, no, it wasn't pleasant at all. I'm lying to you. It was a horror show. I really wanted to quit the business (laughs) after that movie. That's hilarious. And he he continues, God, I don't want to talk about why, but let's just say there were personalities on that film. He shall not be named who needs to be killed. No, no, no. That's terrible. He needs to be set on fire. No, no, no. Anyway, it's all fine. I survived it. So Chevy Chase, we we know who it is. Yeah. I, I mean, he's had that reputation yeah. in almost all his projects. Look at the stuff with Community, oh. and like they're making the Community movie right now. Uh, yeah. And supposedly Dan Harmon, he was asked if Chase was coming back, and he goes, he says, was like legally, I don't know if he can. And I think because there were some, I guess, issues between him and Donald Glover where he would yeah. say kind of off-color racist stuff. Uh-huh. That tracks. And, uh, yeah. So I thought it was funny. I think one of the most cool. interesting things about the film, we can talk about the movie, but I think almost the, I don't know if it's <laughs> fair to say the story behind it and the making of is more interesting, but. I think it's fair. The fact that I think, I think, this is conjecture entirely on my part. Uh-huh. is that Hollywood basically used this film's poor performance to kind of begin to push Chevy Chase out of Hollywood as like a, a big-time star. I mean, he did do stuff afterwards, uh, but not anything big, right? I mean, he had a role in Hero, in Last Action Hero, Cops and Robertsons, Man of the House, Vegas Vacation oh. was like the last big thing I think he really did that he was a headliner. Mm. Even then, I think that came, that thing came and went in the theaters. I really think that Hollywood took this, the opportunity that this bomb presented it and just pushed him out because he had a reputation for being so difficult. Sean, I think I'm off. Am I off base on that, or what are your thoughts? No, I th- I think you're right because like I I love that movie Caddyshack, and mm-hmm. I read yeah I, yeah I read there's like a book about it and it's really interesting and it it, it really it's only like the last like fourth of the book is about Caddyshack. It, a, a lot of it is like the National Lampoon stuff and everything. And mm-hmm. so that's all really interesting. But then, yeah, when it gets to um, the the Caddyshack part, it, it talks a lot about how Chevy Chase was just his ego just got in the way of everything constantly. Yeah. I don't know why he is the way that he is. But we can we can complain about him, and we will complain about him a lot. But let me just really briefly give you the cash money on this thing, because like you said, Chris, big old big old flop, big bomb. It opened February twenty eighth, nineteen ninety two, at number two, the box office behind Wayne's World in their second week. It debuted with four point six million dollars, and it grossed fourteen million through its theatrical run, which, if you're keeping track at home, is damn near identical to the financials for They Live, except They Live didn't cost forty million dollars to make. Jesus. So, how, like, I want to be like how, but like, I get it. Kind forty of, million in nineteen ninety two money, man. <laughs> forty million dollars. Right. <laughs> Jeez. So that's this this dumpster fire of a movie. The plot is, or the summary, I would say, is Chevy Chase mediocre straight white man becomes invisible in a freak accident uh and then once he's invisible he has to run away to kind of figure out how do i live when i can't be seen which is an interesting idea that they don't really do anything with he's being tailed by the cia namely sam neill who wants to recruit him to put him to work he could be like the greatest spy ever or they could just sell him to whatever foreign power whatever they don't actually care the movie claims to be a comedy because 
I presume you can say that if Chevy Chase is the star, but there are no jokes in this movie. Did there's any... like two or three? I think did. Did Ask about his spastic laugh. colon, which I found amusing when he sees that guy in the beginning. Did you all laugh at any point? I, I laughed twice. And, <gasps> okay, but once, I actually, I cannot remember either one now. <laughs> uh, but once was not actually the, I mean, it wasn't like, I wasn't laughing at the intended mm. scenario. It was, I was laughing at how stupid it was. <laughs> but I think there was one genuine laugh. Oh, <sighs> I think it had something to do with the the guy at the um like Michael McKean's friend. I think mm-hmm. it had something to do with him. He was being an idiot or something. So I got lots of thoughts about that guy. I don't know <laughs> if, you, if you want to get into that now, or if you want to. Who is that man? Who he? Yeah, I didn't so recognize him because his voice is so familiar. But I didn't recognize him either. And I looked up his film credits, and none of them like made me go, "Oh, that's the thing." But his voice is so familiar to me. I don't know. Does he just have like early '90s bad guy voice? Yeah. Well, you know, I, he's giving stepdad. Like that's he. He sounds the like the guy. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. He's in his big thing was Logan's Run, and he was uh, the Austin Powers' boss. He sounds a lot like him. Oh, does that ring a bell at all? At least when he's doing the Austin Powers thing. All right, let's 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 listen. Laugh, but I'd be careful mocking what you don't understand. It, it's so, you know, what is that voice? you remind me f- physically of Carl from Die Hard, Alexander Goodenough, the ballet guy who plays the villain in Die Hard. He had that kind of air about him as well. There's like, there's an arrogance. And then, of mm-hmm. course, your typical kind of 80s jock kind of asshole, yeah. I think, too, is the vibe I got from him as well. But the voice, it's just so ridiculous. I think Halloway got in a lot of trouble, came out here, got himself nice and loaded, and just walked into the ocean one day. Oh, come on. Nick's way too narcissistic to kill himself. He'll probably wash up on the shore one day, all bloated and eaten by crabs. Richard? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's... Is he doing Jeremy Irons? Like, is that what he's trying to do? Or, like, I was thinking... There, he kind of sounded like Picard a little bit. <laughs> you hear it? And it just so it just pulls you out of the film. Yeah. So I don't know what it's because it's so big, you know. And it, it's 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 like a car accident when you're driving down the road. It just pulls yeah. your attention away. It's it's really weird. Which would work yeah. if this movie were funny or yes, he's yeah. in a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else right? is in a exactly. comedy. Daryl yeah. Hannah is not in a comedy. Like, that woman is doing absolutely nothing to be comedic. The only time where I was like, is she trying to be funny? Is the first moment where Nick sees her at the table and she's just like, like all weirdly twitchy, but it seems like that was not intentional. I don't know what she's doing in that that moment yeah, that, where it's supposed to be like weird. the, like, ooh, slow down, look at this beautiful blonde. And instead she's like really very twitchy but she's never twitchy again so i don't i don't know what that was but she does not know that this is a comedy well it's not it's it's a comedy drama science fiction film the problem i think one of the problems with the film is that it was marketed as a comedy because it was starring chevy chase but it's not it's a it's a sci-fi kind of drama with comedic undertones it's not you're not supposed to look at it as like national lampoons presents memoirs of an invisible man even though that's kind of how they marketed it i think that's one of the still, reasons why it failed they, that's still how they market it when you look at it on prime video it says this hilarious whatever yeah that's the description i don't know why that okay. like non sequitur persists because it's not funny at so, all so 
I think we need to we need to have a, a serious moment here as friends, <laughs> as family. Okay. Yes. And really, I, I want you to I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Okay, listening. This is not a bad film. Yes, it is. All right. I think that <laughs> reserved Chevy Chase, not slapstick Chevy Chase. I actually enjoyed. I still don't think he's quite right for this role. I think he is miscast. Mm-hmm. But him pulling back and then occasionally delivering one or two one-liners, I think, worked for me. I think the problem we have is that 1992 was a different time in cinema where you couldn't go like back and forth between genres so easily like you can do now. It's a much more wide-open kind of industry now. And I really think that audiences, A, weren't prepared for this, and B... It's not without its shortcomings, but this film does not deserve the reputation it has. After I watched this, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I think the script has its moments. I think they temper the comedy well. And it's there's I'd like to have seen more. I like to take more risks. I like maybe if we're gonna be comedic, be a little broader. But overall, I think the film works pretty damn well. I'm so sorry that you're wrong, but <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's truly terrible. It's very, very bad. And I think I think this is that caca. You, I think you okay. Here's here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna bridge us, Chris. I think that the thing that makes me hate this movie is the thing that makes you forgiving and appreciative of this movie, which is mediocre white it, males. That Chevy and I are both mediocre. No, white males? no. Oh. At its core, there is a very interesting idea. Yeah. And let me just paint a picture where this movie is happening now. And it stars John Hamm. Mm-hmm. And he is coasting off of looking like John Hamm in his career. I uh, he's not actually that good, talented of a businessman. Like, we kind of, they kind of talk around that a little bit in this film. Like, yeah. eh, well, you know, he just kind of coasts. But I would love to see a version of this movie where, again, it's John Hamm because that's who I want. Um, but he has just gotten everywhere he's gotten in life off of his good looks. And now that he is literally invisible, he mm-hmm. has to struggle to figure out how do I operate in the world because everything he's ever had has been because of that. And that is an interesting examination of how that character could change and grow that is also an examination of society and how we value attractiveness over most things um i think there's a really interesting concept here i think what i watched sucked and i think that's why i'm so irritated by it and you're like i see it i see what you were going for i think that you were like respecting and appreciative of the potential and and the potential just makes me mad because when I see failed potential, I get furious. I, I'm gonna sit on that. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ruminate on that. But or I will maybe say, you just like bad movies. If you want that, <laughs> I do adore bad movies. But I do the ability, and this is one of the more pompous things I'll ever say, Ooh. is that I feel I'm of I feel that I have the ability to identify the differences between a movie that I like that is good and a movie that I like that is bad. Yeah. This is not a bad film. I've seen a lot of bad movies in my day. This is not bad. But I want to interject quickly as well to kind of tie in Chevy Chase and John Hamm. If you haven't seen it yet, 
Confess Fletch was one of my favorite films of last year, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is a lot of fun. So check out if you have not seen Confess Fletch, because I'm just white-knuckling they make a sequel, which I doubt they will, but that's fine. <laughs> I Shauna, actually haven't you, seen it, but that is why I came to think of John Hamm. There you because, go. Yeah. Shauna, what do you, do you fall, where do you fall? Between me and Juan? Are you straight in Juan's camp? What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm kind of in the middle because I, I kind of agree. I don't know that I would go as far as to call it a bad movie, but it is so aggressively uninteresting. I mean, mm-hmm. everything about this movie is just blah. Like, it's, it, it just exists. Like, I, you know, I, I do think, like, like Juan was saying, there's an interesting idea buried under the mediocrity but mm-hmm. it's just like the way, I mean, you, you watch the first 10 minutes of this movie, maybe 15 minutes, and you know exactly how it's going to go. There's no mm-hmm. twists, no turns. No. It's completely rote. And, and that's it. It's just, it, it, it plays out exactly how you expect it to play out. And, you know, I mean, maybe there's something to be said about that sometimes, but when everything else is also just so bland and, unintriguing it it just doesn't work i was hoping that the the noir angle right and the like i'm gonna tell you this story and then we catch up to yes. the telling of the story i was hoping that once we got there that it would like do something and um you know it, it didn't and that was it was it was frustrating it was the longest 98 minutes of my life <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just it like is that just it didn't didn't really go anywhere and and I and I went in again super cold. I went in with yep. no trailer, no reading articles, no no recollection of this happening, like this film coming out at all. I actually don't think I lived in America yet, so that's fine. Ugh. He's such a jerk. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm international. I was a junior I don't know in why high school when this came hair. out. <laughs> but yeah, I just I I thought something was going to happen. I thought it was going to be interesting. I thought it was going to be if not funny, then something. It just it wasn't it's not just that like, oh, it was supposed to be funny and it wasn't funny. Like no, it was supposed to be a movie and it just kind of happened. Like it was very right. meandering. Well, um, yeah, well, I mean, I can't disagree with a lot of what you're saying. I think that, you know, the problem is, is just I think people go in thinking it's going to be some uproarious comedy, and it's not. Not to say you are specifically, but a lot of people do, and that's not what the film is. And I know Chase had he did the film because he wanted to expand himself a bit and do something a little more. <laughs> thank you, Augie. It's my dog. Do something a little <laughs> more dramatic, and. uh I, I I think the issue is that it's kind of like the whole thing is a puzzle. It doesn't really quite come together. All the pieces don't quite fit. Like the romantic comedy portion of it doesn't really work between him and Daryl Hannah. Mm-mm. So, but I still, in the end, I just think it's aged well. I think it's better than I'd ever heard it was actually going to be. And uh, yeah, I think it's just... It's a, I think it's I think Carpenter does a lot more with this thing than maybe was originally there. It's kind of his take on North by Northwest in a way. And I just there was I, I there was a lot about it that I enjoyed really. Though I was I will say I think the, the beginning Shauna, it's like it's funny you say that where you watch the first 10 15 minutes you know exactly where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And I really feel 
the first 10, 15 minutes is a really good job of hooking you into it. I think because again, Chase isn't over the top. Every the the stuff between him and Hannah is interesting and fun. Michael McKean, who I always enjoy, pops up, and then I'm thinking, oh, Annie Potts. I love Annie Potts. I've had a crush on Annie Potts since I was a kid. You barely see Patricia. her, <laughs> like, but it's Patricia Heaton. Oh, it's not even Annie Potts. Oh, okay. It's Bobo, Annie Potts. Oh. So I was I very yeah. disappointed. <laughs> see, that's how the second when she shows back up. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's not Annie Potts. It's Patricia Heaton. Damn. She sounded like Annie yeah. Potts in the first scene. She did. And I was trying to figure it out. And then uh, it's just Bray's wife. She's almost never like, like, she's almost always just like on the periphery. So like, I didn't even, I thought it was Annie Potts. And then I yeah. never realized it wasn't her because she's just always like <laughs> off to the side. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think this was her first movie role. Oh, okay. Right? This is. This is the first. I'm thing not. For yeah, Patricia I, I'm Heaton. not. I know you're the, you're the president of the Patricia Heaton fan club, because you're <laughs> no. you're in St. Pete near Clearwater, right? So I think that's all part of it. Oh, Are you kind of? Oh, oh, am I? <laughs> I didn't think about all those things. No, I, I, uh, I'm just I'm I'm so frustrated by this thing because on paper it makes sense even to be a John Carpenter film because not not when you watch it. I don't think. It, you walk walk away from it going, oh, that was Carpenter. But the premise of it, as we've discussed so much through the season so far, is it's kind of like your early sci-fi kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah. oh, that, that'd be interesting to see John Carpenter's take on it. Uh, well, we didn't get to see John Carpenter's take on it because the studio was like, no, you're doing this and it's this way. And um, you're just here. Just hold the camera. Like, they really didn't give him any sort of creativity or freedom to do anything with. He is not, even though this is based on a book and he's directed other films based on books, he's not got any input into the screenplay. He didn't even do the score. Like, they're all, all he did, and I say all he did as if I don't mean it in a way that he didn't do a lot of work, but his only role on the film was director. And... It sounds like a lot of what he had to do was just put up with Chevy Chase being an asshole and ruining takes by ripping off his makeup before it was time and just just being Chevy Chase. So that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yes. And I want to talk about all of that <laughs> stuff. But I do want to say, too, where I think a healthy pack of this budget went was in the special effects. And I got to yes. tell you, for 1992... The special effects on this thing are fantastic. Yeah, I, I thought how the building they, looked so cool. I will agree with that. Yeah, the special effects. I mean, even now they don't look that bad. I mean, thirty years later they don't look terrible. So no, yeah. and it's really well done. And mm-hmm. it's I really the highlight of the film to, to go back, like you said, Shauna, thirty years, and some of the effects mm-hmm. there, and a lot of it was practical, or in front, some of it was in front of a green screen, but a lot yeah. of the stuff they do was practical effects, and it's just. It's fantastic, and I learned a lot of that from watching the HBO uh, making of on it, and the HBO <laughs> special on it. Really, it goes places you don't expect. So um, I want to I want to play a little something for you because this is this is a little bit wild. Hi, can I help you guys? Good morning. Uh, we're HBO. We're here to spend the day with Chevy Chase. Oh, isn't he making memoirs of an invisible man? Yeah. I haven't seen him. He's invisible. Hey, good morning, Mr. Keaton. I'm Batman. Yo, nice cake. Oh, here he comes now. Hi, Mr. Chase, Mr. Gibson. Hey, hi, Earl. How you doing? Hey, Earl, how you doing? These guys say they're from HBO. You're supposed to spend a day with them. 
Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mel, uh, hey, thanks a lot. This carpool thing's working out real great. Hey, great, man. We'll never have to catch the bus again, you know yeah, what I mean? That's what oh, I say. Stinking uh, what time are you getting off, do you know? Oh, hey, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, what time are you getting off? Uh, well, why don't you just uh, beat me? A couple of beeps? Okay, outside stage 14, I'll give you a couple of honks. All right, I'm good. Running. See you then. I'll give you a call if I'm running late. Yeah, have a good day. You too. Take it easy, man. I just love that it's Mel Gibson. And he pops up a couple <laughs> times throughout. And um, I'm, I have a very particular thing set for the stinger that I absolutely adore. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable once you hear it. Oh, um, oh but God. still, uh, yeah. So, But there's a lot of really interesting things you, you learn through that, too. Where there's like one scene where Carpenter's about to direct the film where the guy knocks over the coffee cup that it goes everything wrong. And Chevy Chase comes in and actually tells the actor kind of, oh, actually, if you knock it over like this. So I'm thinking that's exactly what happens is that Chase the whole time is giving side direction to everybody while Carpenter is trying to direct the film. But there's yeah. one scene, too, that is... $3. She's all tense. I don't know why. This is a scene in which Daryl, or rather Daryl's character, Alice, because God knows she doesn't like me, but Alice likes Nick, sees him in the rain, and uh, it glistens off his face. And he says, what, what's happening to me? And she says, don't, you're beautiful. And she lays a huge kiss on me. Now that's something we have to discuss. Do you Although, lay a kiss on me? Now she wants to discuss it. Right, and there's a lot of times where the, the the energy between the two of them is really just off, and then I think it really culminates with this one. Now, either way, Daryl, you can take him, or Chevy, uh, you can take her. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. But which, which you think is the most interesting? Well, what I think would be good is if I'm doing this, and she said, don't, it's beautiful, and then she touches me. Oh, black teeth, I like it. And then I go, that's good. Like that. Yeah. And, and, and then there's a kiss. I don't really do it now. Don't really do it now. <laughs> right? He's, he leans in to do it then, right? And it's, yeah. it's yeah, it's... He's just chuckling like a creep. Yeah. And she, you can see there's a bunch of times Daryl Hannah's very kind of like stiff and kind of like uncomfortable. And it's just like, oh boy, oh boy. I I read that uh, John Carpenter found both of them to be very irritating. So that's... Hannah supposedly is very difficult too to work with. Yeah. I, I think, let me... Let me see what he said. Um, he said it was like working with your boss's snooty children who will tattle on you if you didn't bend to their every will. <laughs> uh, just that they both basically knew, like, they're more important than he is and the studio is going to back them. So really just kind of flexing their their power on set, which is pretty crummy to do. I mean, if you got uh, Reitman kicked off the film, basically, right? Yeah, yeah it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. Carpenter sees the writing on the wall. Like, if things don't go well, he's gone. Yeah, it's uh, oof. It, it's doesn't seem like it was really fun for for anyone. Even even like Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase and being difficult and kind of creepy. Uh, I, somehow he was not prepared for the level of makeup that he was going to be having to deal with to make a film like this yeah and just kind of threw some temper tantrums and ruined some takes and uh cost money by (laughs) having filming days cut short so really doesn't feel like uh 
anything I would say anything at all good came out of it, but sounds like John Carpenter and Sam Neill became friends. And that sounds nice. That's good. There's a yeah. there's and during the, that making of a couple times I talk about it where Chevy's getting the work done and then they shoot the scene and you don't really see Chevy at all. It's like it's cuz the way the the makeup effects are. Yeah. Like the the in the rain scene and that kind of thing, right? And mm-hmm. he says, "Oh, I could have had my stand and do this." And Carpenter's not <laughs> he, the, the allusion to is like, yeah, but you said you wanted to do your you wanted to do this stuff, <laughs> even though you're never really seen. You're standing to totally totally could have done this. So it, yeah, yeah, it's just what a jackass, I guess, is what we're saying. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but Sam Neill, Sam Neill, uh, Carpenter compared him to Kurt Russell. He said yep. he comes prepared. He's a dream come true. He he was good. I feel like he uh, was like always great. I feel like he was like about the only one that wanted to be there. Like I mean I have a question about his character. Is he supposed to be American? Because uh, that accent I don't think so. was not really American, but he is working for the CIA. Yeah, but <laughs> like, Trust me, they hire people from all over yeah. the world to do all sorts of horrible things. I wouldn't Yeah. I wouldn't worry too much about that. There was one thing, I don't know if either of you caught it. I'm wondering if there was some type of a relationship between Sam Neill's character and Steven Tobolsky's character as well. Because one scene we're in the hallway, and Neil kind of goes to touch him on his jacket or his belt and kind of pulls away. When he, huh. there's, like, there's a really small moment of intimacy there between the two of them I that I thought that. was interesting. I didn't quite, I don't know I what was, Neil was going for there, but uh, yeah, it jumped right out at me. It really added an interesting another dimension to Sam Neill's character for me, too. Yeah, yeah, I miss that. Uh, this this movie needed more Tobolowski. I think most films do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was surprised he wasn't in it that much. I thought he would. I know. Yeah. Uh, I I wish we'd had more Tobolowski and less of like weird, like smarmy eighties <laughs> villain in a nineties movie. Like that guy, so jarring. Yeah. So, like. The things he was saying about Nick were like really, really awful, and they don't really land the way they should because he's so over the top, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like that should have been like a really devastating scene for like Nick to be in the room and to hear people laughing about him committing suicide and then joking that he would never because he's too vain is like that. That should destroy him, and it. it it, that doesn't happen. No, nope. yeah. it's just sort of like look at these a holes talking about their friend, and it's like, well, no, he he is that kind of person who that's that that's what they think of him. He they're not just judging him out of nowhere. He's he never really reckons with what a shitty person he is, and I think that's part of what bothers me about this movie is like in his memoirs, the part where he's telling the story. Oh, and I know that's like a challenging way of telling a story because you can't have the growth in narration before the growth has happened even though in narration you would have gone through that but when he's saying that like maybe this is all her fault if she hadn't turned me down i wouldn't have the worst hangover of my life i'm like this fucking asshole it's her fault (laughs) it's her fault but like he's already turned invisible at that point he's supposed to like he's already trying to save her but he's blaming it on her like eh, it's just he's a dick and i don't like that he gets the girl and that he goes gets to go like live in i guess switzerland skiing and just having a lovely life like and shitty and let's not forget blackface 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have a screenshot of my notes that I will post on Twitter because my notes say nothing is happening. Oh, blackface is happening because <laughs> yeah. that's what I was going through like while I was watching it. I'm like, I can't. Wow. Wow. Like, um, is I. It's not okay. It wasn't okay in 1992, but it it was 1992, so you can kind of understand why it happened. But also, it's Chevy Chase, so I'm like not even trying to apologize for him. <laughs> Fuck Chevy Chase. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really know what to say about all that. It was something. Yeah, no, it's uh, that was a decision. That was an interesting call <laughs> for sure by all parties. Yes, yes, and uh, boy, it was it was a decision. Uh, I want to say something nice. I feel bad. Mm. Sam Neill was good. And go back to that. Special effects were good. Special again, like that. The building, in particular. I mean, I I did okay. This is one thing I laughed at that was not a joke. Is I laughed at the aggressive exposition over the loudspeaker at the site when they're investigating the building. Like the building is oh, yeah. probably still there. <laughs> We found right. no rubble. Like, I remember. The, I, was, I was like, was, they're, they're, is now really the time to be going over this? I mean, you feel like they would have covered this like an hour ago. I mean. Yeah. Well. It also is the kind of exposition that would have been so much better like for Sam Neill to be rushing onto the scene and for some guy to be telling him like, hey, they said the building's blown up, but we haven't found. Like, there's a better way of doing right. that. Yeah. That is not the guy on the PA system announcing to all the men in plastic suits that <laughs> the building's still there even though you can't really see it like it was just stupidly done like it that seems like it should be a joke like that's a like honestly like a naked gun kind of thing like let's give the exposition over the loudspeaker because mm -hmm. movies give exposition like but in a dumb way like there's a better there again this is my frustration with this is everything that happens there's a better way that it could have been done and I don't know why it wasn't. Listen, we just blame the studio because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame John Carpenter yet. No, I think that's fair. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you signed me up. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, the the building in particular that, you know, that was all very very cool to look at, very interesting. Yeah. Except yeah. it seems I don't know if you guys felt this way, but. Doesn't it seem like, considering there's like an auditorium and everything, like when you see the outside of the building, doesn't it seem really small? Like, it's, 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 yeah, you're right. The the blueprints like, of that building would be bad yeah. because it was like he's in like a huge, right? Like it looks like a college auditorium, yeah. but then also he's like, "Where's the bathroom?" They're like, "Just down the hall," and he passes like an open giant room of all this equipment. Like, where is that? And then there's a steam room that's, in the bathroom. I remember that's what I laughed at. That was the stupid. The, there it yeah, is. that was it. Because I was like, "How is like how is he just allowed to just wander around?" Like, just yeah, like he had to sign in. Yeah. So it's a secure building, in that he had to sign it. But once he gets signed in, he, he just has free room. <laughs> presumably use the executive steam room because that's the only reason I could come up with as to why there's a steam room in this building. Uh, I didn't even notice it. It's like the overlooked and hotel. And he's fully clothed in there. Things too. don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah right? It, it doesn't... 
Yeah. Bizarre. Very odd. Very odd. Although in in thinking about that steam room, like that moment where he lies down, that that was the only moment in the movie that I related to. It was just like, just ten more minutes, you're gonna be brand new. Just ten more minutes. <laughs> like that is my mantra every time I take a nap. For whatever reason, it's just like, you know what? This is it. This is all you're gonna eat. You're gonna wake up. You're gonna be brand new. Like, <laughs> that that was real. I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Is there anything else to cover about this movie that is not just like bitching and moaning? Mm. <laughs> I'm I can do a quick score corner, even though it's not Carpenter. I think the score actually plays an important part in this film. Okay, I think yeah. that uh, uh, Shirley Walker, uh, who mm-hmm. did it, I think she does a really fun job of echoing kind of those classic noir film scores again, particularly the Hitchcock, you know, yeah. Wrong Man type stuff. It really. I think gives the film a bigger, larger than life feel. It's very grand and lush and engaging. And I think it adds perhaps a level of stakes to the film that perhaps weren't really there, <laughs> but it makes it feel mm-hmm. like it is. I don't know. It really adds another dimension to the film for me. So I think Shirley Walker's score is one of the things I would praise about this film. Absolutely. Has she done anything yeah, I- else? I'm sorry. Um, oh. I was just going to say, has she done anything else of note? Yeah, so it was... Hold on, I had it up here, but I lost it. She did... Pausing for time. She did a TV show is where she got really her her big... Not her big thing, but she did something... Oh, yeah, she did the music for Batman the Animated Series. Oh, cool. So she did all that, and then um, she did some Black Stallion, uh, Nightbreed... White Fang, Pacific Heights, Mask of the Phantasm, the Batman movie. She did True Lies. She co-composed that with uh, Brad Feidel. Escape from L.A., co-composed that with John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. We'll be talking about that. Uh, But yeah, so. And you know what, too? She did uh, the one thing she did before she passed away, unfortunately, uh, was Black Christmas, the remake from 2006, which I revisited last year for Christmas. And... It's a lot better than I remember it being. It's not bad. It's, uh, it's just a lot like the original. Yeah, and yeah, but it's it's really schlocky. Yeah, and sl- you know, and it's just yeah. I I don't know. I really like it. I I liked the score. I I thought it was it was very good. Um, I've been watching Perry Mason lately. The, oh, that's great. The new one on yeah. HBO Max, and so I'm just like I'm all about the noir kind of music and all of that. So I I liked what she did, and also just um, blatant. <laughs> Uh, feminist moment of appreciation for a female composer. It just doesn't yeah. happen very often. <laughs> yeah. So pretty, pretty cool. But I was like watching the opening credits. I'm like, music by Meh? that can't be a Carpenter pseudonym. I was like, that's not, that's odd. Because uh, it's so often been him. But, but yeah, qual- quality score. Um, no returning players. No, uh, yeah. we have people as as you just mentioned with with her um, and Sam Neill will be back. We have people who we'll see again, but. Uh, that was that was some real red flags for me to start this film is not written by John Carpenter, not scored by John Carpenter, and not featuring anyone who I've seen in a movie already for this podcast. So that's those are his kind of three hallmarks that we've seen a lot of. And to be 0 for 3, not a good sign. Yep. All right. Favorite performance. So we can each uh, choose who gives our favorite performance in this film. Chris, would you like to go first? I don't. I think I went first last time. Would that be? Uh, I I just I I don't pay attention. 
Do you, do you want do you want me to go first? Um, no, I, it feels like you have some kind of power over you if I go first, so that's fine. Um, I'm going to go, I think, I'm going to go with Sam Neill. I think that uh, as the slimy CIA agent guy, yeah. uh, I think he was, I think, Shauna, you had said it too, or, or maybe it was Yuan, but he seems to be the most involved. He seems the one having the most fun and knowing exactly what movie he's making. And uh, it's nice and creepy and slimy and it's still fun to watch. So, yeah, I'm going with Sam. Yeah, yeah, I I gotta agree with you. I think Sam Neill gives my favorite performance, but honorable mention for the underutilized Stephen Tobolowski. Uh, Shauna, who gives your favorite performance? Yeah, it's definitely Sam Neill. Yeah, like yeah, I was across the board. <laughs> yeah, I was like I said, he he seems. I mean, ex- except for maybe Tobolowski, it seems like he's like about the only one that wants <laughs> to be there. Because like I don't know, I just maybe I guess Chevy Chase, maybe he does, and he's just kind of like. Chris was saying he's just kind of trying to branch out and not do his usual shtick. Uh, but mm. to me, Daryl Hannah just looked miserable. Like she just looked like she could not care any less yeah. about this damn movie. <laughs> no, she was just present. Right. She's just physically there. I would say uh, if Annie Potts was in this, it would probably be Annie Potts. Yeah, Which maybe even just movie. like the the thought that it might have been Annie Potts could be in our poll. <laughs> yeah, she's my number two. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, this season, as we discuss Carpenter films, we are rating them on a synth scale from one to five. Half synth, half synths are permitted. That is so hard to say every time. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. do you want me to go first? Sure, go ahead. Can I do something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I you finally like set up my. Gonna... I thought like, I. I thought I was going, but then I kind of. Then I like. I realized well, it's not going to make any sense. I. I, <laughs> I pulled. I we I, we'd been using since previously, but I haven't yeah. been consistently using them. So I I have four of them locked and loaded. Because uh, I felt like if we're going to talk about since for the score, we should use one of them. But then I'm like, well, how do I work that in now? I thought it was it was one of those things where I had a brilliant idea at two o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon, and now in the moment of it, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this makes sense or if it works. There's no synths in this movie, right? Well, yeah, like we're synthless, but <laughs> re- regardless of that, I will give this film one and a half synths because I think it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, yeah. How many synths do you have? Keeping in mind that this film has zero um, <laughs> itself. How many synths would you give this film? Uh, so I'm looking at my scorecard right now yes. so far for the season. Because I want to make sure what I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm about to do. Because this mm-hmm. is... Do I really want to do this? I don't know. I don't know. Because I've been sitting at three all day on this. <gasps> but that puts it in... In the same tier as Starman, <gasps> which again was a film that I thought was just okay. <laughs> I did not think it was great. I did. <laughs> so uh, I really can go back. I keep going back and forth between two and a half and three. So, what do you, what do you feel in your heart? <laughs> I don't. Man, I'm really struggling here right now. <laughs> I give Dark Star two. And then three is Starman. Three and a half are Christine and Assault and Precinct 13. 
Yeah, I got to go two and a half then. I can't right, go okay. three because I think that blows up my threes and three and a halves. So I got to go two and a half. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you did that because I was just going to have to casually mention again that there's blackface <laughs> in this movie if you gave it a three. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Shauna, what is your score for this movie? One to five, half synths are allowed. Uh, I, I guess I guess two. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a. I was a reluctant to. I guess. Yeah, because I mean, I think yeah. I liked it a little bit more than you, and definitely, I don't like anywhere near as much as Chris did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just that. Yeah. That's perfect. There we go. There we go. So, and then this is this is our last rating that we're gonna do for this episode. Uh, special for the Carpenter season is how many fucks on a scale of zero to ten. Did John Carpenter give about making this movie? Um, Chris, uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go a big old five spot. Okay, five fucks. I think he was in the uh, Finn, as they would say back in the noir days. I think that. I think probably he got a call. See, I didn't buy this. I don't have an audio commentary to review or anything like that. I don't know if you even recorded one. I'd be maybe I may have refused to. I don't know. Though it may be worth <laughs> listening to. Now that I think maybe about it's it, just if he did ninety-eight minutes of him bitching. <laughs> that might be worth it. Uh, that but, that'd be a better use of the money than the money I spent renting this sucker. <laughs> it was on Canopy. Why don't you just go? You got a library I don't even card. Know what Canopy is. What That's is that? the library one. If you have a library card, oh, you sign up, and then they I have, have like a library whole... card I, I had to rent it too. My library stopped. Uh, well. I was still using my my Kansas library for longest time, uh, and then uh, they they apparently stopped paying for it, so I couldn't use Kansas yeah. either. Yeah, sorry, uh, gang. Two two ninety nine on Amazon. So you didn't have any digital. Usually, you have a little digital. Cri- anyway, uh, five. It's five. I think it's like they said. Crap. Okay. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Our Reitman's out. We need somebody yeah. who can get the job done under budget, and we know we're gonna get something releasable. And Carpenter's like, you know what? I'm uh, got nothing going on clearly in the moment. Looking at the gap between they live and mouth of madness, right? So uh, yeah, he takes a job. He's got some bills to pay. He's maybe mm-hmm. owes alimony Adrian Barbeau. I don't know, but there it is. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think he gave all of two fucks about this, um, and I think the only proof I have that he gave a fuck at all is that I read that he broke a clipboard over his knee when he was getting mad at Chevy Chase. And like, see, that's a guy that's who cares that. Yeah, exactly. That you don't, you don't break things out of anger if you don't care. So I think two fucks. Um, yeah. So Shauna, how many fucks do you think? And you don't have to, gave? and Shauna, you don't have to say the F word if you don't want to. <laughs> you can, she wields it like a sword against me. I don't mind saying it. I just, I usually like to yell it. I prefer. No, okay. You can do that. <laughs> no, I probably, I don't know. I guess like four, maybe five. I, I don't know. Because um, I, I feel like the special effects, like he had to be kind of behind that, right? Like making sure those special effects were up to par and everything. Because he, I mean, it's kind of his thing. you see so. is quality. Like yeah. Yeah. it's none of the, none of the badness is visual. Right. <laughs> so, Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can lay any of the bad stuff in this film at the feet of Carpenter. I can't. I don't think. Right. Uh. Uh-uh. Nope. I I don't think so. So um, four or five. So you want to say four and a half and call it a day? Yeah. That works. Four and a half. Yeah. Four point 
five fucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts on Memoirs of an Invisible Man? It's not as bad as you heard. It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> Some questionable, decis- questionable decisions at times. Or overall, it's an enjoyable, though maybe forgettable film that I will never revisit. But <laughs> it wasn't a waste of my time. I'll say that. Mm. I I walked on my walking pad for about half of this movie, so I did get some exercise. So there's that. I will say that for it. But other than that, I don't would not recommend on my part. Yeah, don't don't watch this movie. <laughs> Watching the Mouth of Madness instead. I look forward to. I love I've that never movie. Seen it before. I'm I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, so that that will be that will be next. So. Uh, Shauna, thank you so much yeah, for watching thanks. this movie. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thanks for having Yeoman's me. Gosh, gosh, we we really owe you one. <laughs> this and your your Alien Three, like we really Alien Three. <laughs> no, I said I reached out to them and I'm like, Shauna, uh, here's your options: Memorize the Invisible Man or Village of the Damned. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Village of the Damned was was kind of bad too, so I didn't really yeah. have a lot of a lot of options there. See, that's, <laughs> this is why it pays to be a friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, I listen every oh, week oh, to the first run, and this is what the thanks I get. <laughs> Chris, that's on you. That's yeah. Me. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, it's, it's always good to be here. Yeah, we appreciate your time, your thoughts, your feelings about this film. Um so thank you again yeah. for being yeah, it's with us. Having cleanup for us, always uh, having to take the big hits. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I said, we will be back next time with In the Mouth of Madness. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Screen Run. I'm at the Lady One, and Chris is at CG Scalzo. And you can find this show anywhere the podcasts are. You can rate us five stars. You can write a review. Tell a friend. Tell your dad. Tell your dad's neighbor who's asking you about your podcast. Hey Jim. If you find this, hey. <laughs> that's it. I'm done now. Thanks for listening, everybody. I should be able to just get up and walk away. That's what you should do. It's a power move, too. <laughs> just throw your headset on the. <laughs> yeah, just record hours of From the distance noise of- in my God office. Damn it. Chevy had a bad day. Come on, hurry up. Just the mere thought of Mel Gibson having a bad day. <laughs> just, uh... <laughs>